is this not like the best set of weather we've ever had? I'm not, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, it's amazing. I woke up yesterday, went to get a coffee, like walked outside. It was like 58 degrees or 60 degrees or whatever. I was like, this is amazing. Like last weekend of July, how can this be? This is the best. Um, I'm really grateful that you're here today. Thank you guys for giving up a piece of your absolutely beautiful weekend, like the best weather weekend we've had in a long time. And you're here on a Sunday morning in church. I'm grateful. I'm really, really grateful that you've made it a priority to be here this morning. And if this is your first time with us today, I just want to say welcome. I'm really, really glad that you're here. It means a lot to us that you take time out of your weekend to spend it here with us and to celebrate who God is. If we've not met before, my name's Tyler. I get to be the pastor of this church that we call Anastasis. And if you're wondering what our name means, somebody invited you in and you're like, what on earth just came out of your mouth? Like, what was that name? Anastasis. It is the Greek word in the New Testament for resurrection, like a literal resurrection from like the dead and a figurative one for your soul. We believe that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter the mistakes you've made, that if you call on the name of Jesus, that you're saved. You're forgiven, you're restored, and you're raised to new life in Christ. And that's what we're praying happens, not just in this building, but all over our community, that the love of God would spread in such a way that we would see people resurrected to the life that God has called them to live. And so we're in this message series entitled, What is Love? And we've been discussing what love is. And um, I have something I guess I need to confess to you guys. And that is this. I, um, I hate superhero movies. Like, I hate them. I think they're terrible. Now, most of you are staring back at me like I'm the worst human being on the planet. Um, and here's why. Here's why. Here's why I hate superhero movies. And I'm not trying to ruin it for anybody. I promise. My son is so into Spider-Man. He thinks he's like the greatest thing on the planet. Why doesn't Spider-Man just use the web earlier? Okay, like I'm serious. I watch these movies and I go, we could have ended this thing in like seven minutes if he would have just shot the web as soon as Green Goblin walked up. Like this thing doesn't need to take so long. But the problem that I have with superhero movies is actually pretty indicative of maybe some of the things that I fight through in my own life is that I'm just really not all that patient, right? I don't let the story just play out. I don't let the thing just unfold the way it needs to. And to see all of the details that go into it, I'm like, this is the problem. This is the solution. Let's just solve the problem. What are we doing, right? And some of you are like, no, no, I really enjoy the journey or I really enjoy the road. Well, having kids has expanded my patience like crazy. My son is maybe the most adorable little boy you've ever seen, and that is the unbiased truth. Um, I think he's absolutely amazing. But he, um, he, he, he is cuddly, he is warm, he is affectionate, he is caring, he is so many wonderful things. Absolutely amazing. And he's also stubborn as all get out. So I've been trying to teach him how to play baseball. I love baseball. Is there any baseball fans in the room? Just show of hands. Okay, like some, right? Like baseball's kind of dying in this community, but the reality is I think baseball is such a fun sport. Well, I gave him his first baseball bat and ball, and we were gonna go out in the yard and play, and I hand him the bat, and he takes it, and he tips it around and turns it upside down, and like holds it, right? Like this. And I was like, no, buddy, buddy, it's not like that. He goes, no, I do it. And I was like but you're holding it wrong. Like you're doing it wrong. And, and I try to flip it around. He goes, no, I do it. So he does. He flips it around, holds it by the barrel. The handle of the bat is up here. And I go, okay. So like toss on the ball. He like tries to hit it the other way. And I'm like, but buddy, just flip it around. It'd be so much easier. Flip it around. It'd be so much easier. And every time I try, he's like, no, I do it. I do it. 
I do it. And at some point I went, Hannah, I don't know what to do. She's like, just throw him the ball the way he wants the ball thrown. I'm like, okay. So that's what we've done. And each time we go out to do it, I try as hard as I can. I promise you to get him to flip that bat around. And he's like, no, I do it. And as I was doing this one day, it actually clicked with me. How often is this like my walk with God? Where he's like, hey, if you just like would do it this way, it would actually be a lot easier for you. Things would go a little smoother. And here I am going, no, I do it. I control it. I have it. I want to be in charge, right? Like I want to do it the way that I want to do it rather than allowing the Lord to establish my steps, rather than allowing the Lord to just lay it all out in front of me and me follow his design and his plan. I, for whatever reason, I know I'm not alone in this room, sometimes get this idea in my head that I might actually have things figured out, that I might actually have a plan that will work apart from the inspired plan. But it's in those moments when I finally figure out, you know what, my plan probably won't work as good as his will. Maybe I need to flip the bat around, try to swing it the other way. That I realized, you know what, there's a God of infinite love and of wisdom who is trying to guide me and carry me, and he's doing so patiently. The fact that he's allowing me to make mistakes, the fact that he's allowing me to learn, the fact that he's allowing the process to take a little longer than maybe it needed to. He gave me this thing that I get to make decisions somehow on this earth is a sign of just pure and amazing love for me. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. What is love? We believe love is patient, and we're gonna talk about the patient love of God today. Before we do so, let's go ahead and let's pray together. Father, we come before you. Lord, I think you're absolutely amazing. And so, Lord, I'm just grateful that we get to gather. I'm grateful that we get to worship you. And Father, I just pray that in these moments that we share, God, that you would just be recognized, you would be worshiped. Lord, you'd be placed at the center focus of everything we do. Father, I pray over every person that's in this space, God, whatever they're carrying, whatever they're coming in with, Father, I pray that they would lay it at your feet. We would remember that you are able, you are strong, and that you never fail. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that all of our attention, our focus, our devotion would be on you today. Lord, I pray over the words that I'm about to speak. Father, I pray that they would be the ones that you want spoken. Lord, the words you don't want spoken, omit those from my vocabulary today. I pray that only your message would be heard today and that everything we do would bring you honor and glory. We ask for all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So um, this is going to be a good, good day. We're in week three of our series, What is Love? And last week we talked about the greatest question that we can ask. And that question is the question, why? Like, why do we do something? Why are we doing something? Should we continue to do something? That's the question that we should continually, continually ask. Examining why we do something or why we believe something is paramount to our growth. So why do we love? The question is, why do we love, right? I, I started out my sermon last week in preparation going, why is it that we love? Why do we do this thing? Why is it that that's something that's so innately in us to want to care for people and to want to love people? And it came back to scripture pretty quickly and very easily. It was a question that answers itself, but it's, we love because God first loved us. And love is from God. And so we didn't make this thing up, but everything that we feel, this affection, this desire to love is because we were created by a creator who loves who cares deeply for his people. And so everything we do comes out of setting our attention and our affection on God. And because God is love, this is an essential outcome to our actions. And the next thing we talked about was without love, 
the intended impact of something will not be realized. That like, no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we strive and try to create, if it's not attached to the heart of God, it will not sustain. If it's not connected to the one who can sustain all things, it will not happen. And so love is so valuable, so important, that apart from it, literally every other good thing becomes almost useless because it has no ability to sustain. And sometimes in our lives, I don't know if you've been there, but you actually make this really, really big mistake of giving up what's best for something that's just pretty good. Like in a moment, you have a need, you have something that you have to have or you think you have to have. And so you actually sacrifice what's best so that you can get something kind of good. And that's what happens when we leave love out of the situation. When we leave love out of the equation, we're not attached to the heart of God. Sometimes we can do things that on their face are good. They're things that make, might make an impact, but because we didn't take the time to attach ourselves to the heart of God and to really look into his heart to gain perspective on how we should be viewing something and doing something, it only has this impact that's so far reaching, but it doesn't go as far as it was intended to. But when it's connected to the heart of God, there is literally nothing that can stop it. There's nothing that can hinder it. There's nothing that can contain it because his love and his power is beyond what we can comprehend. And the last thing we talked about was how love runs towards the hurting. The love runs towards the hurting, that in situations of chaos, in situations of hurt, in situations, whatever, that are tough for us to handle, we don't run away from those. The love doesn't run from those and try to distance themselves from it, but love runs towards the hurting. And it means all of the hurting. For those who are hurt by somebody's actions, for those who are hurt by a situation, for those who are hurting because of something, we run towards them. For someone who's around someone who's being hurt and, we, and they're hurting, we run towards them and we spend time investing in that situation. For somebody who's got a lot of questions, just trying to figure out what on earth is happening, why is it happening, what is going on, we run towards them, we patiently wait with them in love. And to someone who's caused an immense amount of hurt, we run towards them praying for them, patiently waiting for the Lord to do his work in their life. But we do not run away from those who are hurting. And the reason we run towards everyone is because I believe that God's grace is for everyone. That no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter the mistakes you've made, that if you call on the name of Jesus, that you're saved and you're forgiven. And God's heart and his grace is for you. And so we model the Father's heart with the way that we love. We model the Father's heart with the way that we live. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, four through eight says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not insistent on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices at, with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And today we're gonna focus deeply on that line, Love is patient. Love is patient. And I believe that with all my heart, not just because it's in scripture, but because I've experienced it from God himself in my life as I've made boneheaded decisions and I've made mistakes. And his love has been so patient with me along the way. Love is patient. And in order to dig more deeply into this, we're gonna look at 2 Peter chapter three. Um, if you don't know who Peter is, Peter is a disciple of Jesus. So he is one of the 12 disciples, later referred to as an apostle of Jesus in the New Testament. And we know a couple of things about Peter. He is the oldest disciple of Jesus, and he's the one that we know has a family. And how do we know he has a family? Because his mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed her. 
And I thought about this as I was reading it this week. I was like, man, Peter is a better guy than some of us in the room because his mother-in-law got sick and he's like, I gotta get Jesus over to us. And there are some of you in the room who if your mother-in-law got sick, you'd be like, uh-oh, my mother-in-law's sick. Like, <laughs> I hope it's all gonna turn out okay, you know? And he was like, I gotta get Jesus on the case. I gotta get Jesus on the case. And he's also a former fisherman, which means he's not this overly educated guy. He's kind of a blue-collar dude who knows that working hard's important, and he's probably been a guy that what he has in his life has come at the work of his own hands, and so he's a blue-collar guy who is bold. He's not afraid to step out and try new things. Remember, he's the one who walks on water with Jesus. They're in a boat. There's a storm. They see Jesus off in the distance. He said, hey, Lord, if that's you, call to me, and I'll walk to you. And Jesus is like, let's go walk on the water. And Peter gets out and he takes steps to Jesus. And so often in that story, we focus on him falling when we should be focused on the fact that he actually walked on water. He was obedient and walked on the waves in the middle of a storm. And he's so bold that on the night that Jesus is arrested, he cuts off the ear of a soldier who's there to arrest Jesus. He's bold. He's a blue-collar guy. He works hard. He's the oldest disciple. And he also understands grace better than most people. And the reason is, is because on that same night that he cut off the ear of the soldier ready to arrest Jesus, just hours later, he was denying that he ever knew Jesus three times to people who questioned him. And Peter was told by Jesus, this is going to happen. Peter couldn't believe it. But Jesus said something that I thought was so profound in that story. He looks at Peter and he says to him, hey, you're going to do this. You're going to deny me three times. But when you have turned, meaning when you've come back from your mistake, when you've repented from what you've done, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Meaning, I want you to be the backbone of the church leaders I'm sending out. I want you to be the strength for your brothers. Meaning, I know you're going to make mistakes, but I have a calling for your life. And if you're here today and you feel like you've messed up too much or too much has gone wrong in your past or maybe you've missed the mark, I want you to know that we serve a God who wants something special for you. He created you for a plan and for a purpose and you have not missed it. God still has what he has for you. He cares about you. And he's saying, hey, when you've turned, check this out, I've got this for you. When you've turned, I've got this for you. You still got a plan and a purpose for your life. So he understands the grace of God better than most. And he's experienced the patience of Jesus. Because let's think about that patience. Jesus can foresee the mistake that Peter's about to make. And he still says, I still have this calling for you. I know you're going to deny me, Peter. I know you're going to make this mistake. But I also know at some point you're going to turn from it. And we're going to be able to continue on this road. I'm not going to force you to not make, the, make this wrong decision. I'm not going to lock you up in a room somewhere so you can't make that mistake tonight. He says, patiently, I'm going to let you go through what has to happen for your character to get molded, for you to turn into the man that I'm calling to lead my church. And so 2 Peter chapter 3, he starts out this way and he says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I love that. Dear friends, he's writing to people, many of whom he probably hasn't actually fully met and engaged with, but he calls them friends because he recognizes we're all part of the same family here. We're part of the family of God. He says, I've written both of them, these letters to you as a reminder to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, to think on the things of God. And I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So let's stop there. 
Peter understood that Jesus gave the apostles this inspired authority to bring forth God's message to the early church, this new community that was being founded and built on Jesus. He understood this from the passages such as Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus tells them, hey, I'll give you the authority to bind and loose whatever it is that you wish to bind and loose. And this basically makes them like the authoritative rabbis of the day and circumventing the authority that the Pharisees would have had in that culture, that as people were converting from their traditional Jewish culture to this new church, this Christianity, as they follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he was saying like, hey, don't worry about the Pharisees' control anymore, but listen to these guys. These are the guys I've put in charge. And Peter understands how much these Jewish people would have respected the prophets of the Old Testament. And he's saying, hey, listen, our words are every bit as important and they have the authority because they came from Christ. Because we've been given the authority of Christ, listen to our words as you did the same way with the Old Testament prophets. Hold us in the same esteem when you read our words. And it's almost as if Peter knew that someday we were gonna have this like little book of all of it, of all the writings, of everything. And when I read that this week and thought about that as he knew the authority he was writing to them with, I thought about how blessed we are that we have the benefit of not only the Old Testament, the writings that they would have had most of the access to at this point, but then all of these other letters combined with it that we can look at it and see it and read it and absorb it and take it into perspective to get a full grasp of the story of our God as he began this new work in the earth through Jesus. And I think it's absolutely amazing because they only had the Old Testament. They were living the New Testament, right? Like everything that we're reading about is what they were finding out moment to moment to moment. But we have this benefit of hindsight to go back and read and gain perspective on who God is. And so he's saying, hey, Adhere to the words of the Old Testament prophets, listen to them, understand the heart of God that they're telling you about, but also adhere to our words in the same way. And so he continues on in verse three, and he says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Um, we shouldn't be surprised to find out that there are people who will scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again. Peter told us that scoffers are gonna come, and this is the first thing to notice. People are gonna challenge what you believe. That's just a normal deal that we have to get comfortable with and we almost have to get used to, is this idea that people will challenge what you believe. And it's not always gonna be strangers. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be coworkers, people you interact with daily. You say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm making this decision. It doesn't quite make sense to everyone else around me. And they may go, what on earth are you doing? Like, you actually think that that's real? That's a good idea? And it's like, well, I do because I feel like I'm being led by the Holy Spirit to do it. And there's these, this idea that while he's talking about the large picture here of there are people who will scoff at the idea that Jesus will ever come back, there's this notion, too, that we can take from this and understand that in your daily life, there are people who will look at you and say, you're crazy. You're not doing the right thing. That doesn't make any sense. And the reality is, you know it makes sense because you know the God who's asked you to step forward and do this. And you need this kind of love that we're going to talk about today. And that's patient love because patient love persists. It's persistent. It never quits even in the face of adversity, even in the face of people challenging what it is that you believe and the decisions that you're making, 
You're persistent. You're patient to watch God do what he's going to do. You hold fast to what you know is true, and you don't quit just because the outcome hasn't been realized yet. And this is the thing we need each day as we follow Jesus. But Peter continues on, or Peter says this in verse three, and he says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, meaning they're not gonna just have like an intellectual problem with scripture. They're not gonna just have an intellectual problem with the idea of Jesus coming back, but they're also gonna have like a moral issue and an authority issue with the fact that Jesus could be the Lord of their life. The truth is, like 96% of people in a poll that they did, like, like Jesus' words. They have a positive viewpoint of Jesus. They think really highly of Jesus. And they love what he has to say until it like affects their life, right? Until it becomes this thing that like, I actually have to submit my life to this. Like, no, 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 no. I think it was really nice when he said, love your neighbors yourself. But I only want that to extend so far. I really like it in theory, but I don't know that I love it in application. Because in application, it might actually mean they gotta give up something about myself. And so what Peter's pointing to here is he's like, yeah, they're gonna scoff at the idea intellectually, but they're also gonna scoff at the idea morally and authoritatively because they just don't wanna give their life up to Jesus. They wanna follow what they're doing. And he's like, so just know that's what you're up against. Rarely do people disagree with what Jesus says, but they begin to disagree with what Jesus is asking them to do. And he says in verse four, they will say, where is this coming? He promised, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So he's refuting something really important here. And that's the notion that they're saying that God has never changed his approach, nor has God ever allowed any judgment to come on the earth. And he's saying, no, 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 don't you remember the flood of Noah? And he's also reminding them saying, hey, you guys were raised in the Jewish faith. This letter that he's going to is the Jewish community. Most of these people have converted to Christianity that are reading this, but it's likely to believe that he's saying, hey, there's other ones that are living around you that are challenging your beliefs. They're purposefully forgetting what actually happened. They were raised to know this. They know the flood happened. They know this has been done before, that the earth has been destroyed by judgment. And now they're purposely saying, eh, it's not gonna happen. Since the beginning of time, this never happened. And they're conveniently forgetting something that they shouldn't try to forget. And he says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He's reminding them, hey, the life you live right now presently is temporary. This is a temporary life. And those who are more concerned with this life rather than the next one, you're living foolishly. You need to keep your eyes fixed on eternity. And so all of this is incredibly intense. It's heavy. It's overwhelming for so many of us to process. But then he switches gears a bit as he says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, the day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let's read that again because it's so important that we take note of this. He says this, verse eight, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. 
Meaning God's got time on his hands. God stands outside of time because God's the one who created time. So don't, don't challenge the waiting game. Let's not play a game of chicken here. God is God. But then he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, like the way we define it, right? The Lord is not slow with the way that we focus on things. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's not patient, but he's patient with you. What did we read that love was earlier? Love is patient. The Lord is patient. God is love. It's not just what he does, it is who he is. God is patient because he cares for you, because he loves you. And his patience is purposeful in the fact that his hope is that none would perish. John 3, 16, right? Like for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, like whosoever, anybody, if you call in the name of Jesus, they wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. This idea that the reason why some things are taking a long time is because God's patiently drawing people to him. The Lord is patient in the process. Um, growing up in church, you may have heard this. People be like, this world is going nuts. I just wish Jesus would come back like right now. I wish Jesus would have come back like five years ago. I wish Jesus would have come back 30 years ago, right? Like there's all of these statements that we make, these grandiose statements. I want him to come back right now so this whole experiment could be over. And the truth is what seems like forever for us is just a short time for God, meaning God's got time on his hands. God knows how to patiently pass the time, but his patience is loving. His waiting is loving. The holy, perfect, righteous, just God is patiently waiting and offering everyone a chance at redemption. And this is where we have to understand the magnitude of God's grace. He is God and we are not. We need to start there. He is God, we are not. I think sometimes we think we're in charge. And it's just like, man, there is a God who is so powerful, so holy, so righteous, so just, so loving, so caring. He is God, we are not. And if he wanted to end this whole humanity experiment, he could. And there would be nothing evil about it because everything was made by him and for him. So it's the equivalent of saying like, hey, I'm done with this business. I want to sell this business. There's nothing inherently evil about you saying like, I want to quit doing this thing. If God said like, I'm done. I'm done with this. This is crazy. I'm just going to get rid of it all. The whole humanity experiment was not fun. We're just over this. We're going to move on. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that actually because it was all made by him and for him. He's God. He's good. Whatever he does is good. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he so desperately loves his creation that his heart is that none would perish and he's gonna wait patiently for people to come to him. He patiently waits for as many people as possible to come to repentance and salvation. And the truth is, God is going to keep his promise without delay, according to his timing. Like any perceived delay is just on our end. 
It's just on us thinking with our own expectations, this didn't happen in the right time. This is not the right equation. This is not the right moment. But God will do whatever it takes. He will wait as long as he chooses to, to allow as many people to come to repentance and salvation as possible. And as I was thinking about this week, it like dawned on me. It's like, there are so many people who are probably wildly grateful Jesus didn't return 10 years ago. There are so many people who are now Christians who are like, thank God Jesus didn't come back two years ago. You know, they hear somebody say, I wish he would have just come back five years ago. And they're like, no, because I became a follower in like the last like 30 days. I'm so grateful he didn't because the waiting and the love and the patience of God is so that none would perish but that everyone would have a chance at redemption. And so he's waiting and waiting and drawing and pursuing and waiting. And so when we make these statements, like I want him to come back right now, it's like, we get it. We understand why, but the Lord is saying, trust me, I've got a different plan. I've got a different purpose. I'm patiently waiting. My patience is purposeful. His patience is purposeful. God doesn't just wait to wait. He doesn't wait because he likes watching you like spin on this hamster wheel time and time again, trying to figure it out. Like that is not what brings joy to God's heart. There's been so many times in my life where something felt really difficult and I felt like I was like swimming upstream and even asking God one time, like, where are you? What are you doing? What's going on here? And I remember sensing in my spirit at that time, him say like a question to me, like, do you think this is fun for me? Do you think I enjoy this? No, this breaks my heart too, but this process that we're walking through is necessary. It's necessary because I'm molding you. I'm shaping you. I'm crafting you. And so while God is patient and waiting for an eternal outcome, and while God is patient and waiting for people to make a decision to follow him, giving every opportunity that he can, he's patient in our everyday too as he crafts us and molds us, shapes us, changes us, leads us, guides us, as we walk through situations that are tough, situations that are overwhelming. Like I say, he doesn't wait because he likes watching you like try to figure it out. He waits because he's compassionate. He waits because he's gracious. And so for the person who doesn't know him yet, he waits so that they might come to repentance and life in him. The goal, the outcome, Please spend eternity with me is God's heart. But for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, he waits so that you could be perfected, molded, crafted into who he's created you to be. So there are things that he's spoken to you if you're a follower of Jesus that you're like, those haven't come to pass yet. I don't know what's going on. Take heart. They will. Be patient. They will. His love his patience for you is doing something. Maybe you've been waiting on a new job and you've been praying about it and you felt like the Lord told you to go try to find a new job or maybe you're just in need of a new job and something just hasn't happened yet. Just continue praying. Pray without ceasing. Fix your eyes on God. Ask him to reveal to you what his dream is, what his heart is, what his plan is for your life. Maybe you're single and you've been waiting on a spouse feels like an eternity and you're like I just wish God would bring the right person into my life pray pray fix your eyes on Jesus but then also be patient in your waiting meaning I'm not going to just give myself to every one of my desires for physical affirmation and affection 
what I'm gonna do is prepare myself for my spouse. I'm gonna love my future spouse by patiently waiting for them, saving for them what only belongs to them and saying, God, whatever you wanna do in me right now, as you purify me, as you lead me, as you strengthen me, do so. Craft my character, God. Maybe you feel like you're behind some of your friends or your family, right? And you've got these people that are doing these crazy cool things. They're moving all over the place, or maybe they're not, or they're building their dream home and you're, you're not, or they're starting a family and it's just not worked out for you yet. Whatever the equation might be for you. Be patient. Wait. Fix your eyes on God. Trust Him that the patient love of God will lead you and craft you and walk beside you as He guides your path. Maybe a family doesn't know Jesus yet. And you've been patiently waiting for them to come and know Jesus, but you're getting frustrated. And so now you're ready to start sharing the gospel out of almost like, I need to see this thing take right now, right? Be patient, pray. God cares about them so much more than you can even imagine caring about them. He's pursuing them too. So submit to him, let him do the work, pray without ceasing as he draws them near to him. And for some of you, I didn't name off the thing you're fighting against, but you're fighting against something that feels almost insurmountable. You're just, you're done with it. You're over it. You've had enough of it. You're just tired of it. You want it to be done. My heart breaks for you because I've been there too. And the only thing I would say is you're not alone. God is with you. He's loving you in the midst of the waiting. And his patience in this time when you're like, couldn't you just send the rescue boat yesterday? His patience is loving and caring because he's crafting you in a way that you wouldn't be able to be crafted if you didn't walk through this with him. So keep your perspective on him the entire time. Keep his character in your focus. He is good. He is faithful. He just is. And what he promises will come to pass. So the question is, will we remain patient in the waiting? It's not a question of if God will remain faithful. And it's not a question of if God will remain committed to the process or if God will do his part. The question for all of us today, whether we're waiting right now or will be waiting, is will we wait patiently? Will we wait with expectation? Will we let the patient love of God fulfill its purpose in our lives? And so he closes this way, verse 14, and he says, so then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, meaning God. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. His patience means deliverance. His patience means rescue. His patience means restoration. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, to you with the wisdom that God gave him. So seek to be obedient is what he's saying. Seek that. Look for obedience in the patience, in the waiting. Be obedient. God is not waiting to harm you, but he's doing it for your good. And I know it can be so hard to hear that in the midst of pain that like it's actually gonna be good for me. But God takes what the enemy intends for evil and he turns it for good and he crafts us and he molds us because his love is so patient and caring that everything he does is not for our harm, but it's for our good because he is good. He is patient. He is loving. So seek to be obedient in the waiting. And he says this, therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless, of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. He's saying, keep your perspective on God. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your focus on God. And don't allow what's going on around you to carry you away. But stay anchored to the one who will guide you and lead you. In this life, you will have trouble. Things will take longer than they're supposed to or than you expect them to at least. But God's process is loving. And because he is loving, his patience expresses love and his patience is good for us. So what does it look like for us? This proverb from chapter 16, 32 spoke to me so much this week. Mostly because this is happening to me already. Gray hair is a crown of glory. Some of y'all are dying your crown, just so you're aware. Um, no, gray hair is a crown of glory. Think about that. Saying, hey, as you age, wisdom's coming with it as you walk through things that are testing your patience and testing your faith. It's actually really good because you're enduring those things. And it's a crown of glory that you wear. It's gained in a righteous life. And whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Do you know what that means? He who's patient is better than he who gets tired of waiting and goes conquers on his own. He who stays committed to what God has for him is better than he who goes out and conquers the earth and the world says, wow, look what all he's gained. Look what all he's done. And the Lord's like, I want to reward your steadfastness. I want to reward your commitment. I want to reward your faithfulness. I don't want you to go build your own kingdom. I don't want you to go create whatever you can create. It might be really impressive to your friends and your family, all the things you've conquered. But the Lord is saying, you know what's really impressive? Someone has got some discipline to say, I'm not going to let my emotions control me. Instead, I'm going to faithfully follow God no matter the cost. And I'm going to return his patient love with my love and commitment to him by patiently waiting with him. So remember, love is patient. And patient love is persistent. And patient love is purposeful. So be patient while you wait. Be persistent in the waiting and during the troubles that come. And remember that this time of patient love does have a purpose to it. And often that purpose is for grace and for refinement. And it's that grace and refinement that's needed for you to step into what God has for you. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, um, as we pray, if you're here today, you would say um, so boldly, I wanna grow in patience. I want my love to grow in patience. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I wanna pray for you, yeah. Hands all over the room. God, thank you for a group of people who are boldly saying, I actually want patience. Father, sometimes I think we're afraid to ask for that because we've been told don't ask for patience. But Lord, if it's from you, why would we not want it? And so Lord, I, I just pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that for every person that lifted their hands today saying they wanna reflect your love and the patience that they have and they carry and they steward. Father, I pray that you would give them the supernatural power and ability to walk and to follow you through this process as you grow them in this area. Father, I pray that your presence and their awareness of your presence, God, would never fade from their perspective. But Lord, at all times, they would sense your nearness. They would know that you're with them, that you're walking with them as they follow you. 
But we ask for all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said.